For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know how to navigate the ever-changing world of marketing. Today, I'm going to be joined by Andrew Davis, and we're going to explore something kind of fun, which is how to embrace creativity. If you have this desire to do something or start something, anything, and you've just never been able to get started, today is going to be the episode for you. You're absolutely going to love this. By the way, I forgot to do something I typically do every year, which is to wish Merry Christmas to all those who celebrated it last week. I want to say Merry Christmas, everybody, because I'm a week late. And I also want to say a Happy New Year to you who are listening. And of course, Happy Belated Hanukkah to everyone who celebrated that as well. I'm getting ahead. I'm recording this in November, trying to get ahead for the holidays, and it just totally space cadetted what date these things are launching. So I just hope you are having an amazing year. I wish you nothing but success in 2024. Man, I remember like the 90s like it was yesterday. I couldn't even imagine what 2023 or 2024 would look like. And for those of you that are gray hairs like me, you can probably relate. Wow. Has time flown? Absolutely. By the way, if you want to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Stelzner and on Twitter slash X at Mike underscore Stelzner. And if you're new to this show, follow us by clicking that little follow button on your favorite podcast app. It'll download all of the new episodes so you will not miss anything. Now let's transition over to this week's interview with Andrew Davis. And it's a good one. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Andrew Davis. If you don't know who Andrew is, you've got to know who Andrew is. He is a marketing strategist and author of the book, Brandscaping, Unleashing the Power of Partnerships. He's also a highly sought after public speaker. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. It's so exciting to be on. Man, it's awesome to have you on the show. Today, Andrew and I are going to explore how constraints can actually unlock creativity. You heard that right constraints can unlock creativity. But before we go there, I'd like to hear your story. How'd you get into marketing? Start wherever you want to start. Well, I started my career in television. I really wanted to work at the Muppets. That was my dream job. And in 1999, I got the opportunity finally to work at the Muppets, which I thought was going to be the pinnacle of my career. And I never had considered marketing once in my life until when I was working on the Muppets. Essentially, there's a show called Bear in the Big Blue House. I don't, I don't know if you know that show, but it was a kid's show. It was really good. I was working on the first season of the show. And my job at the Jim Henson company was to actually make sure 
the, the puppets, the actual puppets that were built for each episode were on budget and on schedule. And I ran the first report like two weeks into the job and we were way over budget. We were $500,000 over budget for the entire season. And we had not shot an episode yet. And I got really nervous. I went to the first big meeting. You know, there was a production meeting with Sony Pictures and the Jim Henson Company and 20th Century Fox and all these people. And so they went around the room and everybody was on budget. And then they got to me and I said, well, I'm new here, but we're over budget. And I think I've got a plan to fix it. And Brian Henson interrupted and he said, oh, don't worry about that. You know, that's not a big deal. Welcome to the team. And I thought, how can he not worry about being over budget? Well, about a week later, I had a meeting with the, the team in merchandising and licensing at the Jim Henson Company. And I sat down with them. And within 15 minutes, I understood why Brian Henson did not care that we were over budget because he understood that if you created great content, if you got people to fall in love with the characters that they saw on the screen, they would buy all the products that we could merchandise and license. And they told me, hey, don't worry about it. If you get to three, four, five million dollars over budget, then we should talk. But otherwise, just focus on creating great characters that people will fall in love with. And I thought, wow, what is this? And they said, this is marketing. And that's when I was like, oh, wow, marketing, I'm in. And so this is the dot-com boom came and I ended up having a bunch of marketing jobs. I started a marketing agency in the early 2000s and I sold that in 2012 and learned a ton about everything marketing, even though I had no idea what I was doing. The agency grew with a business partner of mine, Jim Costco, who was a journalist. And then in 2012, I just started speaking and writing books full time. And that's what I've been doing for the last 11 years now. It's been fun. Awesome. So talk to us a little bit about the speaking and writing the books. Tell us a little bit about some of the books you've written and a little bit about like your business model today. Sure. I mean, my business model today is essentially like 99.9% .9 of the revenue is speaking revenue. So I travel about 55 times a year around the world. I just got back from Amsterdam uh, speaking to audiences of all types, not just marketers themselves, but I did linen and laundry cleaners, you know, just recently. So I learned so much about all these amazing industries. And my book, Brandscaping, which you had mentioned, which is a, my very first book, it's a book I'm really proud of. It's just all about leveraging partnerships and kind of really non-traditional marketing activities to build and grow any brand at a lower cost instead of relying on just media companies as the primary driver. And it's only worked because social media came around. And it's something I implemented with lots of the clients that we had at Tipping Point Labs. And then I wrote a book called Town Inc. in 2015, which is, I basically went around the country trying to figure out why some towns are booming and others are bust and what's the difference. And I wasn't sure it would be a marketing problem, but it turns out it is. It's just a positioning problem. And the cities and towns that are really successful are ones who kind of stake their claim and are known for one thing and do it really, really well and attract a lot of visitors and economic development and all sorts of stuff. So I speak at a lot of travel and tourism events as a result of that book. Then I wrote a book called The Referable Speaker, which is all about professional speaking. So it's, it's just, I kind of try to pick up something I'm excited about and write about it and explore the ideas and, and see what's next. So you've been traveling pretty much the entire year speaking all over the place. What are you typically speaking about these days? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, uh, a lot of people are interested in AI. So speaking about AI, I have a new talk that I developed over the last year about that. The loyalty loop is a concept I came up with and researched for five years. And it's my most referred speech. It's the speech that I'm asked to give the most in the last three years. It's the one that everybody wants to hear about. It's kind of an alternative to the funnel. And it's a kind of thought provoking deep dive into rethinking the way we think about marketing 
And instead of thinking about, you know, a bunch of people that dribble through a funnel, can we think about it in a new and exciting way? That's really about a series of interlocking loops that drives them closer to a purchase. So that's a really popular one. And then the second most popular one actually in the last five years is one called the curiosity factor. And it's all about creating curiosity gaps and earning the the attention of your audience for as long as you want. So instead of worrying about trying to just create the shortest two minute YouTube video or the shortest TikTok possible, how do you actually leverage some psychology and a bunch of things I learned in television actually to keep people engaged. So those are the three most kind of exciting and fun ones that are booked the most. Awesome. One more question before we get into the main topic today. Yeah. Do you find that writing books and doing speaking, there's a corollary there. Do you feel like you're, as long as you're a speaker, you're going to have to keep producing more books? This is a good question, Michael. I think it might be the opposite. You know, what happens every year I try to come up with a new speech that I'm excited about or a new thing I want to explore and try to turn it into a speaking topic. I think what's happened with me is the things that I've ended up speaking about when the audience asks me, do you have a book about this? That's now the time when I started thinking about writing the book instead of what I used to think was I'll write the book, then I'll go speak about brandscaping. And you know what this actually happened with brandscaping was kind of a revelation. I wrote this book. I spent so much time and effort. You know how hard it is. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's exhausting. And then I, I went out with a speech about brandscaping. And at the very first event, I gave the speech. And then had a Q&A session afterwards and at lunch. And all these people had genius questions that I had not even considered when I was writing the book. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, I should have gone out and aerated this idea to hear what the questions are about it so I could include them in the book. And so that's been my strategy ever since. So, you know, the referable speaker is a result of me talking at a lot of events about speaking to professional speakers that, you know, it's a passion of mine that I want to help share and help other people grow. And so that book came as, as a result of lots and lots of conversations trying to truly understand why some people are successful, why others are not, what makes a great speech, what doesn't. Instead of just me pontificating about what I think makes a great speech, it's really a, a true learning expense. It was like a, an adventure I went on to answer that question. So it's been a lot of fun. Outstanding. Okay. So when I introduced you at the top, I said, we're going to explore how constraints can unlock creativity. And the working title of this is From Overwhelm to Opportunity, colon, How Embracing Constraints Unlock Greater Creativity. And the reason I've titled the podcast episode From Overwhelm to Opportunity is because I think you know this, Andrew, and I'm sure, especially as you're traveling around the country, like you and I saw each other at a marketing event recently, marketers are in a state of overwhelm right now. Let's just start with why are so many marketers in a, in a state of overwhelm? Why do you think so many are feeling overwhelmed right now? I can tell you that I do feel overwhelmed as a marketer personally. And it's also something I hear from almost every audience and marketer I interact with on a daily basis. And I think there's two primary reasons. Like the first one is that we're marketers and marketers in general are like, yes, people, we are excitable. We, we love to try new things. We love when somebody says, oh, let's, let's do a new social media campaign. Or when somebody says, let's try this with our email. Or when somebody says, oh, have you tried LinkedIn Live yet? We're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's try it. So we're really good at saying yes to things. And I think that's one of the reasons we feel overwhelmed. Like we're, we need to have a way 
to kind of say no to things if we want to reduce that overwhelm. And the second one, and this one I think is a consistent one over the last two decades of dealing with social media specifically, is there's always something new and there's always something next. You know, so like as soon as you figured out if it was Twitter in the beginning, then, you know, somebody was like, oh, you know, have you done Facebook, uh, you know, marketing and Facebook ads? And then have you done Facebook Live? And then Instagram showed up and you're like, you got to get on Instagram. And then TikTok showed up and Snapchat showed up, you know, and so like there's always something new. And today I know a lot of marketers feel overwhelmed and a ton of pressure that they've got to get on AI. Like you've got to try it. You got to use it. You, you can be more productive. It can write everything. And so there's this constant pressure, this FOMO of missing out on the next big thing. So we're always taking on another new thing. And I think if you just take those two things, that's the reason we feel so overwhelmed constantly is we, we just say yes a lot because we're easily excitable. We want to please people. We want to deliver results. And then on top of that, we're always kind of chasing the next big thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's fascinating because I fully agree with you. The chase is part of the problem, right? Because why do we chase in the first place, right? We chase because what we're doing isn't working and we're putting all of our hope in this hope bucket, if you will, right? We hope that the scales will turn in our favor if we just do a little bit more over here of whatever we're not doing, right? Or if we just try a little bit more over here and it's all about doing more and working harder until literally we're stuck in the middle of a tornado and before you know it, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pressure to try the next thing because you hear, if you go to any event or you, you, you spend any time reading or consuming content online as a marketer, you see other people are having better results than you on some other platform. And so like the grass always looks greener. You know, if you're on TikTok, there are people on TikTok saying, hey, like you can generate millions of dollars on TikTok. Like I'll show you the secrets. And you're like, you can? Oh my gosh, I gotta be here. So it's very easy to get sucked into that. I know you call it the, the shiny object syndrome. You're just chasing that, that big bright object, the next thing that's gonna solve that problem and actually deliver the results we need. So it's really easy to get caught up in it. And I fall victim to it too. I mean the last big phrase for us, I think in general was NFTs and blockchain. And I went down that trail pretty big, man. <laughs> right? No, I know you did. And so many of us did because, you know, after you've heard about it for nine months, you're like, I am definitely missing the boat. I have got to get involved. And so I understand the pressure, right. but it leads to overwhelm and it's, it's really overwhelming for me. Okay. So let's start with how do we actually start like if we're going to tackle this overwhelm thing, like where do we get started? How do we even begin to think about addressing overwhelm? Well, I think the key to this is embracing the constraints. And that's that gets to the, the kind of thing we've teased from the get-go. You know, I actually think that one of the, the limitations we have is that we're constantly hoping we had more budget or more time or more people to execute on the things we want to execute on. If I just had more time to invest in my podcast, my podcast would be more successful you know, that leads to overwhelm as well. So we've got a lot of things we're trying to accomplish. There's a lot of new tech coming our way. And we're looking at the outside world and saying, oh my gosh, they're so successful using this stuff. I've got to do what they're doing. And embracing the constraints for me is all about actually looking at the, the things you think are constraining you, that time, the money, the budget, the, you know, the effort you've got to put in, the energy you've got to expend, the team members you have available, and actually turning those limitations into creative constraints that help you come up with solutions that work for you. 
that work for your company. So you might be a solopreneur and doing the social media for a very small team, or maybe you're working for a, a bigger business and you're the social media person for that business. That's awesome. You, all of you have limitations. And instead of looking outside and saying, oh, I wish I had more or going to your boss and asking for more budget, taking those things on and saying, you know what? I'm going to work with these creative limitations and turn them into something powerful. That's really going to work. And I think it helps to reduce that overwhelm as a really important step in the process. So embracing the constraints is just an opportunity to get more creative because thinking outside the box just doesn't do it. It leads to more and more time and effort and overwhelm. Okay. So love it. When we were prepping for this, there were two things. I'm going to throw them out there. They're going to trigger you the cube of creativity and the mindset shift. Talk to me about both of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So the cube of creativity is essentially four constraints that you can add to any project or initiative that you're working on that will actually lead to better, bigger results, more creative results faster. And so these four limitations and constraints really help to focus your effort and determine how to move forward on the project faster using your limitations. Yep, we're going to get into those. Yeah, we'll, we'll break them all down for you. That's, this is a good, that's a curiosity gap, by the way. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so we'll get to all four of those. And the, the second one is just this big mind shift. The mind shift is that you've got to actually take all of these constraints you're getting, the limitations you're getting, and just use them as fuel for creativity. Like, I'll give you a quick example. If somebody says, hey, let's start a podcast for our team. And you're like, yeah, let's do that. We could deliver some and drive some real results with our podcast. That's great. Now, if you start diving into how to create a podcast, I mean, Michael, you'll know, you, you Google like how to start a podcast. And the first thing is like buy all this equipment. And then you've got to research a platform and pick a recording platform and, you know, get smart. Like what? All of a sudden you've got this long list of stuff. And now the podcast is like three months away. But when you use the cube of creativity and your limitations as fuel for creative growth, you end up being able to create a podcast in like a week with what you got and it gets you moving forward faster and it reduces all that overwhelm you see when you just work in the ether looking for a solution to your problem. So the mindset shift is just embrace those constraints because constraints breed creativity. And if you can do that, those constraints will actually make you more creative and deliver those big results. Okay, so for everyone who's listening, what we're gonna do in the remainder of this interview is going to unlock in your brain a lot of opportunities. By the time you're done listening slash watching slash reading, whatever the medium is that you're communicating in, if you employ what Andrew's gonna talk about, you will be able to shift the way you think about these struggles that have stopped you from being creative. That for me is really exciting. I'm actually re really excited. So since there's a cube, it implies that there's multiple sides to this thing. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. So let's start with the first limitation. Yeah, the first limitation is to eliminate the unnecessary. So, Michael, we, we already talked about the fact that, you know, we are overwhelmed because we say yes to so many things. Well, the first thing in your cube of creativity to unlock and embrace the constraints is to immediately, when you start any new project or initiative, is to eliminate two things. Oh, okay. Yes. For every new thing you start, you have to find two things that you're going to stop doing. 
All right. Now, this may sound really hard, but if you just think about there's always an easy one, right? Okay. So, for example, I talked to a marketer just the other day and they said, you know, we do LinkedIn lives. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's awesome. How often do you do the LinkedIn lives? And they were like, we do them once a month. And I was like, when is the last time you did a LinkedIn live? And she was like, February. And I was like, well, that's not bad. Like, you can get back on the horse and get that going. And she's like, no, February of 2019. I was like, okay, you don't do LinkedIn lives. I know you have that on the content calendar. Maybe you keep talking about it. I'm sure you've got the, the page all set up and you could hit go if you wanted to go. But just take that off your plate right now. That is the easy one. Just admit to yourself and tell the whole team, if you work on a team, we're not going to do the LinkedIn lives anymore because it frees up your mind to now think about something else. I know every social media marketer out there wakes up in the morning going, man, I really should fill in that LinkedIn live, right? We re I really should get back to that. <laughs> so, so look, just admit that we're not going to do it anymore. Stop it. Stop promising it. And you'll feel the weight lifted. And all of a sudden, you're, you're getting creative fuel back. Like, just imagine when you wake up in the morning, you have a, a creative fuel tank that is full. Let's just say it's full every morning when you wake up. But every task, every trial, every email, every tweet we send or X we send, I don't know what you call them anymore, every TikTok we have to produce, every content calendar we have to fill out, that takes a little bit of our creative fuel away. And then at 2.30, when you're like, let me brainstorm ideas for TikTok next week, you've got no creative fuel left because you were doing all those things, right? So we need to just take that mental energy we're expending on an easy thing to keep, stop doing and just admit that we are going to stop doing it. So that's the easy one. So you're going to kill two things every time you start something new. Eliminate the unnecessary. The second one is you're going to have to kill the hard one. Now, this is the one. Getting back to your point earlier, Michael, this is the one that isn't delivering the results we expected. And we've got resources. Maybe we've got time and energy. Maybe we've got just emotional energy invested in this. Maybe your CEO went to some conference and came back and said, you know, we've got to start TikTok. And you're like, I don't think it's right for us. But you're like, okay, it's the CEO's baby. You got to do it. It's time to admit that you should stop doing it if it's not delivering the results you expected. You will feel so good if you finally just say, even to the CEO, hey, look, we're going to take on some new things. I'm starting a brand new project. I need to devote some energy and time and resources to this. And in order to do that, we're going to have to kill two things. I've already killed that LinkedIn Live, but we're also going to kill the podcast because it's not delivering the results we expected. And I'm really sorry about that. And you just got to talk to them about it. So the first one, kill two things every time you start something new eliminate the unnecessary. You will reduce your overwhelm so much. You know, when we were prepping for this, I told you that with my kids when they were younger, they would ask me to install a game on their phone and I would say, fine, you have to pick two to delete, right? You can pick two to delete and then we can add one, you know? And they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess I don't play this one anymore. I don't play this one anymore, right? You know, I'm, I'm also thinking to myself, this is also something that Dr. Henry Cloud talks about in the book, Necessary Endings. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about how our life and our work is like a rose bush and there are branches that are not producing as much output and a good person would trim those branches off so the, the energy would go to the part that can produce the biggest thing or, or new opportunities, right? So it makes so much sense to me that we 
have a limited amount of energy and a limited amount of time, a limited amount of creative mojo, whatever you want to call it. Right. And every time, even if it's something that's we're not actively doing, it's hanging there like uh, like dust in our brain. Right. And we got to clear it out. Right. That's absolutely right. Yep. Let's move on to the next one. If you want to add something to that, feel free. But, you know, we got we got more folks. First of all, I actually have uh, just tried to implement your strategy with my niece on the phone. So I think it's genius. And I, I think it shows just how much those things that are just, you know, cluttering up space on the metaphorical phone and in your mind right. are easier to get rid of if you just admit it and let like move on. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about the second side in the cube of creativity. Now, the second one is a very easy one. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but if you invite people to a brainstorm meeting and you say, Hey, you know what? Like we have an idea we want to pitch to you. Like, here's what we want to do. All of a sudden, people are like, okay, what, why are we doing this, right? You have to define a single outcome for every new project or initiative you take on. So if you say, hey, we are going to dive into TikTok, that's great. First, eliminate two things. And then before you go any further, define the single outcome that will define success for this initiative. Okay, so whatever that is, make sure it's singular. Too many people, especially marketers like me, we try to add a bunch of things. We're like, oh, you know, we want to generate some leads, but we also are going to raise awareness and we also want to get subscribers to our newsletter and, oh, we're going to promote the podcast so it'll increase awareness for the podcast. All of a sudden, this one thing you're trying to do has 15 things you're trying to accomplish and it's impossible to know if you're ever successful. It's one of the reasons I think we end up with all these things we're still doing because we're having a hard time determining what one thing defines success. So eliminate the unnecessary and then define a single clear outcome. Okay. I want to ask some clarifying questions on this. Yeah. Maybe you could even give an example, but why just one thing, right? I mean, because it's hard for marketers to just have one thing, right? Like help explain the rationale behind it, you know? Okay. So, so the rationale behind picking a one single thing is that you want to be able to determine very quickly if what you're going to be working on is worth the effort relatives to other things you've got going on immediately. So one of the reasons we feel overwhelmed is because there's, we're trying to accomplish a lot of outcomes with a lot of different projects, and we're not sure which ones are moving the, the needle. So let's use a, a real simple example. Let's say we have an online course, and we want to promote the online course, and we decide, oh, we're going to start a podcast. Okay, great. Th- this is a very good new project. Now let's assume we already killed two other things, And now we've got to define a clear outcome for this course. So it's great to say, yeah, it'll raise awareness. That is a side benefit. But if we say something like, we are going to sign up three people who we've never seen before after the first three episodes of this podcast that came as a result of the podcast, now I know exactly what will define success for this podcast. So you need to make it very single, very clear, And if you make it finite and have a time deadline, those things help a lot. So instead of just saying, we're going to embark on a podcast, what you're really saying is, we're going to try do a podcast, at least three episodes that generates three new students in our online course. And that's going to define success for our initiative moving forward. It'll become a little more clear maybe as we go to the next piece of the cube of creativity. Yeah, feel free. Roll that cube. (laughs) Yeah, roll the cube. I like it. First of all, we've got this first side of this cube is to eliminate uh, two things, right? 
that are unnecessary that you're working on right now. And the second side of this is to, is, you know, for this new thing, right? This new thing, you should have a single outcome, like a primary objective, really, right? And ideally, it should be measurable. That's what I'm hearing you say. So now let's hear the third side. Yeah. Yes, I, sh- I should have said that. It has to be measurable. Just a quick clarification. I don't like to call it primary because that infers there's a secondary and a tertiary. And a, okay, all right, just one, okay. Just one outcome and make it really clear. Okay, now the third one, and this is why the first one's very important. The third one is to add two additional creative limitations. So let me explain what this means. You need to add unreasonable creative limitations. One of the reasons that the cube of creativity works so well in moving you forward so fast with great new ideas is that you're actually able to do something really fast in a way you never imagined before. So the first thing, the two limitations you need to add, they need to be unreasonable is an unreasonable deadline. So you must have an unreasonable deadline for this. So I already added that in my single outcome, which was in three episodes over three weeks, right? So my deadline is three weeks from now, I need to have three new sales of my online course. Okay, that sounds really unreasonable to me with a podcast I've never tried to produce before. I think it's unreasonable. And then the the second category, and you need at least one of these, these creative limitations, is just additional creative constraints. So think of it like this. We talked about the fact that if you dive into podcasting, all of a sudden it opens up this world of technology you need and editors you need and all this stuff. If you said, hey, I need you to create this podcast and launch the first episode next week, and you can only produce the entire podcast episode on your iPhone, that gets you thinking. That all of a sudden changes the way you think of the entire process of the podcast, right? Like, you don't need to buy microphones and stuff. Like you need to look at your phone and find the voice memo and then say like, what am I going to record or how am I going to create this? So all of a sudden it gets your creative juices flowing and it, it creates this environment where you're kind of thinking inside the box. That's why I called it the cube of creativity. So you've now got the time to do it because you just eliminated two things you were working on. You've now got a clear outcome. You need to get three new customers as a result of this podcast in three weeks. And you need to launch the first podcast next week using only your iPhone. Now I'm ready to start really thinking about doing my work. I'm like ready to dive in using constraints to kind of breed that creativity. Okay. I want to noodle in this space or stick here for just a little bit. Okay. These two additional limitations. One of them is an unreasonable deadline. I totally get that. But let's just pause for a second on that one. Why is an unreasonable deadline so important? So an unreasonable deadline actually forces you to do things and it creates a sense of urgency in a new kind of way. So as marketers, we tend to very quickly start to dive into every nuance and best practice. And we listen, we start to consume as much content as we can about the new thing we're going to do. It doesn't matter if you're going to revamp your email newsletter or you're going to start doing a, like a threads thread every Monday, like all of a sudden you start reading every thread and then you're reading posts about the best threads to write. Like that stuff is great. And it's, it can be very, very helpful. It can help you move forward in a lot of ways, but it also, and we all know this, it can become a massive time suck and it can breed a sense of uh, imposter syndrome, which I know you, you guys talk about a lot in your mind, right? All of a sudden you're like, wow, there's a lot of work involved. These people create great threads. Look, they get millions of views on each thread they create. Oh my gosh, I can never have an Instagram channel that has 
100 million followers. This is going to be impossible. If, if you create an unreasonable time constraint and all of a sudden you say, I've got to do this in a week, you can't spend all week just researching stuff. You can spend some time researching stuff, but it forces you to get into action mode much, much faster. Okay. So when it comes to this third side of the cube or whatever, this third limitation, and which has like two little subsections, do you always recommend we have an unreasonable deadline as one of the two things that we focus on? Yes, it has to be an unreasonable deadline. You will be shocked at how much you can accomplish when you actually say, okay, this is unreasonable. I'm going to embrace that constraint and I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got to come up with the most creative thing I can deliver as fast as I can deliver to deliver those results. It's massively successful. I'm watching this show on Amazon called 007 Road to Millions. Oh, I love that. I watched that too. I watched the whole thing. I won't tell you who wins. It's amazing because these folks are given extremely unreasonable limitations, right? They've got like 90 minutes to find something. And maybe there's a crocodile, right? Like the world's biggest crocodile, you know, and they've got to figure out how to get a case, right? And you'd be shocked at how creative they get, right? Like, and if you watch any reality show where they're under deadline, it was even the case back when Donald Trump had his reality show, you know what I mean? When they had these completely unrealistic expectations and everybody who's ever been in any kind of creative situation, like they give you a fixed time and you just have to figure it out, right? And we kind of instinctively know that that actually works because it forces us to just dial in, ignore everything else and just solve the clue. Same thing when you're in an escape room. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. What's amazing is they don't just get creative. They get really focused. Right. And all of a sudden they can accomplish their task in, in a way and at a speed that would be otherwise impossible if they said, you have three days to find that case. Right. They'd be like, oh, let's, let's have a beer and think about it, you know? But in the show, in Road to Millions, they have to like, they're like, you have 90 minutes to get 120 kilometers and find a case. Like, that doesn't even sound possible, right? That's unreasonable. Yeah, in some cases it's underwater. In other cases, they got to go up on top of a crane. I mean, it's crazy, right? So the other side of the constraint is... Wait, wait Michael, can I just say one more thing? Yeah. It, it overcomes your fears. Ah. Like, and you can see that in Road to Millions. Like the episode you're talking about, there's a woman who has to climb a giant crane to get to one of these cases. And her husband's afraid of heights and won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. She's not excited about it, but she's nervous, right? And all of a sudden, when you have an unreasonable deadline and the clock is ticking, you've got to climb that crane. You, can, you, you just got to move on. And so all those fears that we get as social media you know, you, you know, practitioners about being an imposter or this tweet might not work or my podcast might be a failure. Or it's not as good as Michael's podcast. It's such a disaster. They fade away into the background because you're so focused on achieving success with the unreasonable expectations that you've set for yourself. Okay. So the second part though, is some sort of a creative constraint, right? Yes. So I think I understand because I've experienced this firsthand, just using your phone to film instead of using a professional camera, because that's exactly what I, exactly. exactly what I've been doing. Right. I just have my phone on a tripod and I have a little remote lapel microphone and I'm off to the races and they look great. Right. Thank like you. This, this. Yeah. What, but what other kind of creative constraints should we be thinking about? Cause not everybody has got the example of audio or video. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Okay. So you can think of any kinds of constraints. So for example, if it was to write something, it may be the two creative constraints would be write it in 15 minutes and make it less than 300 words. Ah, all right. Okay. You know, because I'm one of those writers that can write a really long thing 
and I can write it really fast. But if, if I've only got 15 minutes and it needs to be a good 300 words, that's going to be tough. If it was a tweet, maybe, or even a, an Instagram post, it would be to post it within three minutes of taking the photo using no filters and no external tools like Canva. Like all of a sudden, that's getting you to say, all right, I got to post this. Like timer's going, like I got to get it on. Well, another example could be to take a clipboard and go out into the woods or the forest, you know, and leave your electronics behind, right? And literally set the timer with a pen and paper, and you're going to write four of these things in 30 minutes or something. You know what I mean? And then you come back, exactly. right? It's just like, it's, it's eliminating the, the crutches, the things that are essentially the things we lean on, right? Like looking at other people and modeling them and all that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. It's just taking away all the noise and taking what you've got in front of you and turning it into an asset instead of something you can complain about. For, here's another easy one. If your boss says, hey, we have no more budget for photo shoots for our products that we're marketing, you know, we've used it for the year. You have one, two options. You can complain <laughs> and say, oh, no, we, we got to have like a nice set. We need some money for this. I need a stylist, whatever. I don't know what your, your, the budget goes to. Or you can embrace that constraint and say, oh, really? No more budget? No problem. Then all of a sudden you've got an unreasonable limitation that's been set on you. Zero budget, but shoot beautiful product photography. Okay, we'll start looking around. Like, what lights do you have? Like, oh, kitchen light? Fine. You know, do you have some butcher paper or wax paper? Make it a backdrop. All of a sudden, you'll find all the assets you need right in front of you. I'll tell you just really quickly, at the beginning of the pandemic, I wanted to invest in an endless pool because I was going to swim in my backyard. Then I decided, oh, you know what? I'll go to the gym and work out because I live five minutes from the gym. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, I can't work out at the gym anymore. That's a good reason to cancel my membership. Then I, my brother-in-law told me, oh, why don't you work out in the metaverse? And he was like, get an Oculus, which I did. And I worked out in my garage. Supernatural, baby. I, I play that. Supernatural. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Huge fan. Michael. Every day. So I supernatural did right all day long. Yeah. And then one day I realized we have a pool in our backyard. It's a beautiful little pool here in Florida. And I, <laughs> I saw that I had a bungee cord and some parachute cable, and a, and a carabiner. And I took the carabiner, I clipped it onto the back of my swimsuit, I attached it to the parachute cable and the bungee cord on my little fence at the pool, and I swam in my endless pool that I made for $3.50. Nice. And I I'm still do that. I just did that. So like all of a sudden, when I couldn't do anything else, when all the constraints were on me during the pandemic, I found a solution that cost me $3, not $35,000 to install an endless pool. This is the kind of ingenuity and, and creativity that only happens when you eliminate the unnecessary, you actually get a single outcome. Like for me, it was, I want to get fit, right? And you apply some additional creative constraints that force you to use what you've got to make a really good, successful, simple outcome. Awesome. And then there's a fourth one. Yeah, let's hear it. What is it? The fourth one is raise the stakes. So one of the things that I realized that happens when we, when, even if we go through this process, and in fact, Michael, when I first came up with this idea, it was a triangle, not a cube, because I thought all you needed to do was eliminate the unnecessary, define a clear outcome, and then add some creative limitations. But it turns out, no, that's not true. What you actually need to do is know what's at stake if you do not achieve that single outcome that we previously defined. I'll give you a quick story that it, it actually happened during the pandemic. It's a, a story about a, a nonprofit based just north of, of San Francisco 
and it's called the Sweet Farm Foundation. And it's run by this guy named Nate. He's the co-founder. He's a very nice guy. And his mission is to kind of help people like embrace a new way of thinking about industrialized farming and make some different choices in their life so that we live in a, you know, like a more green friendly world. So he has a farm up there. And before the pandemic, his whole idea was that he would generate the revenue he needed to sustain this nonprofit by hosting corporate retreats. So like if you were at Facebook or Google or social media examiner, you could send your team up to the farm for the day and they would, you know, they would learn how to plant some, you know, fruits and vegetables, or they'd take care of the pigs and the chickens and the llamas and the goats and stuff on the farm. And it was a team building exercise and it was really, really well done. And their goal was to generate 40% of their operating revenue with these in-person retreats, basically for the spring, summer, and fall. And then they, they wouldn't do them in the winter. Well, in 2020, they were fully booked by March. They had booked 100% of their revenue for the entire year. And they were like high-fiving each other. And then we all know what happens, right? <laughs> like the pandemic shut everything down for them and no longer could they host corporate retreats. So this guy, Nate, 16 days after the pandemic, shut their operation down. He invites everybody to a all-hands Zoom meeting and he uses the cube of creativity to craft the challenge for the entire team. So here's what he says. He says, number one, I want you to stop all unnecessary activity. If it doesn't have anything to do with keeping just the animals on the farm alive, I don't want you to do it. So I don't care. No more marketing, nothing else. Just this is it. We're going to focus on this and keeping the animals alive. Number two, he said to the entire team, we need to find a way to recoup that 40% of revenue by tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning was his first unreasonable constraint. So he has a single outcome. The single outcome is I need to recoup that 40% of revenue and we need to have something by tomorrow morning. Now, this was three o'clock in the afternoon, this all hands Zoom meeting. Everybody's on it. The board, all of his, his employees. And then he says, we need to do something that requires no one to come to the farm, obviously. Now, that was the second creative limitation. So I need something by tomorrow. And obviously, it can't be in-person retreats. So tell me what you've got. Now, before he moves on, he raises the stakes. And this was very easy in the pandemic. He said, if we don't come up with a solution by tomorrow morning, we will be forced to lay off some of our staff and find new homes for some of the animals. Now, that's clear. It's clear that we know there's a huge sense of urgency here. Why are we trying to recoup this 40% of revenue? Not because the CEO said so. No, because if we don't do it, every one of our jobs in jeopardy, right? So I'll tell you what they did. <laughs> and then we can talk more about raising the stakes. But they actually, in that call, someone mentioned that they were sick of Zoom meetings. And we all remember that. By like two months in, you're like, I hate Zoom meetings. Well, his one team member said, why don't we Zoom bomb some of these boring corporate meetings and we'll join the meeting like with a goat. And then the goat will be like real funny. And then we'll give people some tips and tricks on how to live a more sustainable life. And we'll give them a laugh and we'll, we'll make people feel better. And we can just get a donation for that. They said, all right, let's give it a shot. The very next morning, they launched a one page thing on their website and they posted one post on Instagram and they invited people to sign up for a goat to meeting. <laughs> so wait, the goat stood in for them? Is that the point? Yes. Yes. Okay. So for, for a donation of $65 to I think $750, you could have a goat or a llama or a chicken. You could pick any of the farm animals 
interrupt your Zoom meeting. So Michael, imagine you're having your social media examiner Monday team meeting yeah. and all of a sudden a goat just showed up in the bottom right, yeah. right? That's exactly what they're doing. And by the end of the year, so, so essentially seven months later, they had done 8,000 goat to meetings and they generated five times the amount of revenue they needed to continue their operation. Wow. And it all started with just being very clear about what they needed to, to come out of this. And so actually they got so busy, they had to actually get other farms to do these, these GoTo meetings. And by the way, this is my favorite part, GoTo meeting actually could have like sent a cease and desist and said like, this is confusing and why are you, you, know, you can't do that. Well, no, you know what they did? They loved it so much. They wrote a big fat check for a donation. And they said, keep doing what you're doing. I don't care if you use Zoom or WebEx or whatever. We love what you're doing. Keep calling it a GoTo meeting. And we wanted to say brought to you by GoToMeeting. Oh, nice. So they killed it. And it was just a simple, simple idea. So we've got to raise the stakes for any project. You want to give an example? Well, yeah, let's talk about legit. Like, what, how do we go about raising the stakes? Just talk to me about that. Mm. Like, obviously, that's a really extreme example that you just gave. Yeah, that's an extreme example. And that did happen during the pandemic. But it's the pandemic is what really made me realize that this, the piece of this that was missing, the reason people weren't seeing success with the triangle model was that there was nothing at stake. So think of it, the stakes as, as two ways, right? Basically, you have incentives on one side and you have disincentives on the other side. So if we achieve this outcome, can you attach an incentive to it? So let's go back to that podcast example just for fun. So if, if we said, hey, we need to create this podcast that's going to get three new uh, enrollments in our online course, we need to launch the first one by Monday, we're only going to use our iPhone, and let's assume that the person who's going to be in charge of this, executing it, really wants to be involved in a podcast. Their dream is, a, is to do a podcast, and they've always been talking about it. Well, the incentive is, you need to state this clearly, that if this is success successful, if you get those three people to enroll then we will actually give you a $500 a month budget to produce a great podcast ah, for the next year. Perfect. Now you're like, oh, I see what's at stake. Like if I really am serious about podcasting, I'm going to have to achieve this outcome and you know what's at stake. So there's financial incentives. There's also, I would call them soft incentives. I gave this speech about this uh, a few months ago and right after the speech, uh, it was a construction company the construction company used the cube of creativity for their sales team to come up with a, a new sales project. And it was ultimately very successful. And he emailed me to say that it, it was very successful and he'd done this kind of thing in the past, but it had never worked. And I said, what was the difference? And he said, he raised the stakes. And I said, well, what stakes did you use? He said that his salespeople for the construction company, want, they all agreed they wanted to take Fridays off during the summer to play golf. And he said, all right, fine. You achieve the outcome you guys defined in this meeting, I will give you every Friday off in the summer. And their unreasonable deadline, the one they argued about for hours, and they said it was too unreasonable, they achieved it with two days to spare, and they all went golfing Love that it. Friday. Love it. So you, you've got to be able to use incentives. The other one's disincentives, and that's essentially the opposite, and that's what Nate used, right? Nate said, look, like if we don't achieve this outcome, we're all in big trouble. Right. And those are very, those are good too. If you can, you don't want to cause a panic, right? right? But you want people to understand why we're doing this. Maybe you're going after a new part of the market. Okay, well, you need to tell them, hey, look, if we don't achieve this outcome, 
the market's shifting and we actually might not be you know, successful over the next nine months if we can't adapt with the market and achieve this outcome. So things like that. So incentives and disincentives will help you scope the stake that you're going to plant to make sure you achieve the outcome you want. Andrew Davis, this has been really fascinating discussion. If people want to learn more about you, is there a social platform they can connect with you on? Is there a website you want to send them to? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I have a bunch of YouTube videos, so you can find me on YouTube. Just to search Andrew Davis and look for the guy with the orange bow tie. But I've created a very special, super secret webpage for you guys. You can find it at akadrewdavis.com slash SME, social media examiner. And you will find the full 60-minute version of the Cube of Creativity speech so you can watch it in all its glory, see the examples, you can see the cube itself, and there's some other goodies for you there. But there's other ways to connect if you want to reach out by email, you can find it there. So aka drewdavis.com slash SME. Andrew Davis, thank you, my friend, for coming on. Really appreciate your time today. This was awesome, man. Thank you. Hey, I hope you found a lot of value in today's show. If you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 595. 595. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new to the show, follow this show. If you've been a long time listener, would you let your friends know about us by tagging us on Instagram at Stelzner or on Twitter slash X at Mike underscore Stelzner. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. I will be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may your marketing keep evolving. Catch you next time. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.